0: This week we're going to pick up our theme and continue on with it. It's so relevant, it's just amazing to, to live in the times that we're living in. It's remarkable, it's a lot going on, and it's time to let our light shine and to make a difference and to represent the king of heaven, his agenda, his ways. So today I want to talk about how does one come out of Babylon, right? How does one come out of Babylon. Last week we uh, presented from Revelation 18, the paradigm for understanding how a nation can become a Babylon and the mandate from God for us, his people, to come out of her. But what does that mean, come out of her? Some have tried moving into communes, David Koresh. Some have moved out of the country, jim jones those applications obviously did not work out too well and i believe totally misunderstood what god intended when he called us to come out of the beastly superpowers of our day so today we're going to look at an application of what it means to live under the corruption and immorality and the tyranny of a godless regime, of a nation that's become a Babylon. So let's revisit Revelation 18, verses 4 and 5, as we kick off this teaching. John says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. For her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. That's the passage. Come out of her, my people. We have another phrase that I think we're all acquainted with. The phrase that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. Yeah, what does that mean? I think that's about as clear as the one in the book of Revelation that says, come out of her, my people. How do we do that? What does that look like? What does that mean? Right? In order to understand these passages, these ideas in order to understand the book of Revelation, we have to understand the book of Daniel. Daniel is the backdrop of the book of Revelation. In fact, much of what John received from heaven is rooted in what was already given to the prophet Daniel. In, in order to understand it, we need to understand the book of Daniel. When you go and read that book, at the end you'll note that God says to close up the book and seal it so that people can't understand it. And yet, John opens up his book with the revelation given to him by God. And so really what's given to Daniel is opened up through John so that we can really fully understand what God had given all the way back in the days and times of Daniel. So when God commands his people to come out of Babylon, we need to look back at Daniel who lived in Babylon. Think about that. How did Daniel live in Babylon? And at the same time, stay faithful to God. One could say that Daniel was in Babylon, but not of Babylon. Let's step into Daniel's life setting and begin to understand what it means to be in this world, but not of the world. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. It's an exciting book. I think we'll, we'll spend some time in the weeks ahead in this book. It's fascinating Highly relative for the times we're living in. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. The Lord brought about the uprooting of Israel. Israel had been unfaithful for generations. And God now uses an invading army from Babylon to uproot his people and to take them into captivity. And it's God who's orchestrating it. So many things that happen in life. Who who do we blame when they're negative, painful, or Disruptive. We blame the enemy, don't we? We blame Satan. Oh, it's the devil. I want to tell you something. A lot of times it's God. It's God who's orchestrating the events around us in the world that we live in. And He has an agenda, a purpose in all that He does. And His people are the center of that, the apple of His eye. But when they're out of line, God will chastise them, even in ways that sometimes are shocking but it's because he loves them and wants to bring them back to him and his intended purposes. So God handed his people over to be uh, oppressed and enslaved by godless pagans. Now I want you to think of us in our country, in our nation. We too now are losing many of our freedoms at a fast pace. And godless leaders are clearly now beginning to oppress us like never before. And it's happening quickly. I'm just shocked with it. Think about this for a moment, right? My body, my choice. Ha! Right? The government and many of our employers are schooling us on who has a right over our bodies. Five billion people currently have been coerced into taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Many governments are mandating the shots for many of their citizens. Even our president has mandated them for all federal workers in the United States, including the White House, the CDC, the FDA, so on. Makers of the three COVID-19 vaccines used in the United States have also required their employees to get vaccinated. Now, I'm pro-vaccine. I'm pro-choice when it comes to medical services, but I'm radically against a government mandating that you and I take a experimental vaccine. I'm radically opposed to that. That's the very, very destruction of the liberties that we hold so close to us. I'm gonna talk in a little bit about why that's a big deal. It's your body. We'll revisit that in a moment. Many employers are now requiring their employees to get shots or be harassed with measures designed to force them into getting the experimental vaccine later on. A growing number are threatening their employees with termination if they refuse the vaccine. What's up with that? A growing number of employees are now, or employers are now requiring vaccinations in order to be hired. I mean, Montana is the only state in the union that gets it right. They said, you can't do that, Mr. Employer. You cannot do that. It's a violation of human rights inherent in our Constitution in who we are as a people, as a nation. Yet we're seeing employers all across the states requiring this. All of this is highly discriminatory and a clear violation of our God-given human rights. The vaccine passport is next. That's next on the horizon. There's a big push for this right now. And with that will, become, will come uh, subsequent penalties for not submitting to it. And those penalties will be striking and frightening. Ultimately, ultimately, if they go this direction, without one, you and I may not be able to buy, sell, or trade. Does that sound familiar, right? We're seeing for the first time a real global mechanism for control and enslavement to this beast system. Now I believe that those that are in power right now will continue to violate our rights as they corrupt our children and try to turn them against us. This is an evil agenda. But God is allowing it to happen. Think about that. God's sovereign. Nothing happens unless he allows that to happen. So we have to ask the bigger question, God, why are you allowing this to happen? And Daniel holds the keys to that paradigm. It's Daniel that helps us to understand why God allows these things to happen. The call of God is this. Come out of her. Specifically, her sins. Come out of her sins. Oh, my people. Don't participate in her sinful ways. Because I'm sending plagues, pestilence, famine. I will judge her with violence. You need to get out of the way because it's intended for her. But if you don't, it's going to smack you between the eyes so it's the call of God for us to come out of her ways to stay true to God in the midst of judgment and God's promises is, is that he'll see us through he will see us through so back to Daniel chapter 1 verses 3 and 4 then the king ordered Ashpanaz, the chief of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel including some of the royal family and some of the nobles youths in whom is no defect who were good-looking showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge and who had ability for serving in the king's court and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans verses five through seven The king appointed them for a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. They got the best of the best. They're being set up with the best of the best. And he appointed that they should be educated three years and at the end of which, they were to enter into the king's personal service. Now among the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them and to Daniel. He assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse 8, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food and with the wine which he drank. Daniel decides that he will not compromise on the dietary laws. Note that and note that well. Daniel's in Babylon, but he's not of Babylon. He knows who he is. He knows who his God is. And Daniel begins to think through where he needs to draw the line in this place in which the pagans rule. And he decides to start with his diet. He says, I'm not going to compromise on the dietary laws. How do you think this is going to work out for him? And how do you think he's going to communicate that to his new authorities? Keep in mind, all authority comes from God. And whether the king is a pagan or a saint, he derives his authority from God. And when you disobey the king, you've disobeyed God from whom all authority comes from. The only allowance for disobeying any authority is when that authority is asking you to disobey a clear command of God. Other than that, you were to respect and honor the authorities. Verse 8 goes on to say, concerning Daniel, so he sought permission... From the commander of the officials, that he might not defile himself. He wasn't arrogant. He sought permission. He appealed to his authority. He asked his authority for permission to follow his own sincerely held religious beliefs and values. Keep in mind that when we approach our authorities, whether they're employers or government officials, regardless, whoever they are, we're going to do that with honor and respect, appealing to them for an allowance to keep our own sincerely held beliefs. You need to think about that, especially with the vaccine. There used to be a day and a time in America in which they honored religious exemptions. They accommodated you for your religious beliefs. All of that is being challenged, being whittled away in some places they've already done away with it. Verse 9. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. This is the sovereignty of God. Keep that up for one moment. This is the sovereignty of God. We call this providence. This is God working behind the scenes. No one really sees God in it. But God is at work behind the scenes to preserve his people. He touches the heart of this commander. And he turns his heart to Daniel. And the commander is like, I like this guy. You know, this Daniel guy, there's something about him that I just like. And I have a heart for him. I feel pity for him. He's in a bad place. So I'm going to begin to work with him and give him some favor. That comes from God. God did that for Daniel. Never forget God's working behind the scenes on your behalf. It doesn't matter what your leaders are doing or what your you know, government's doing. Trust in God. Keep your peace. Stay the course, God will see you through. Verse 10 And the commander to the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should you see your faces looking, or why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. He has a heart for Daniel. He's saying, Daniel, I want to work with you. I want to accommodate you. But the king will have my head. I don't know if I can do this. This is like a pretty big deal. But Daniel in verse 11 through 13 says this Please test your servants for 10 days. A 10 day test. Isn't that interesting? How many days are you tested in the book of Revelation? Remember the test that comes? 10 days. Yeah, all this is tied together. The framework of the book of Revelation is Daniel. Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Fresh veggies and fruits, all we're asking for and if we're not better looking and stronger then okay I'll submit but test us in this so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days and at the end of 10 days their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food so the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were able to drink or they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Banner verse for your kids, by the way. Eat your vegetables. Be like Daniel. You can shut the mouths of lions if you eat your vegetables, right? Okay, so that's an application. Daniel 1.7, as, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Why? Because God gave that to them. God imparted that to them. Again, God working behind the scenes. He's the one that empowers us and positions us to rise up even in the midst of of a Babylon even in the midst of a nation that he's judging he causes his people who are faithful to his ways to rise up I found this true in my life early on when I when I you you know the story so I'll keep it short but for those that are new you'll like it everyone else you'll yawn I met my wife-to-be I was so smitten and in love with her and She took off to beauty school, imagine that. I'm over here in college thinking, man, I'm gonna lose her. She's gonna be over there in beauty school and all the guys are gonna be hitting on her, I'm gonna lose her. So I quit, I quit college and I went to beauty school too to watch over her. Make sure I didn't lose her. Yeah, all the guys were gay, beauty school. It was the safest place on the planet for her. What was I thinking, right? Now she's worried about me because all the guys are hitting on me. I'm like the only straight guy, you know? So, ah, unbelievable. The world's so upside down. Anyway, long story short, we paid tuition. It was accredited through uh, Washington DC. And so it was a pricey uh, school to go to. And we worked hard and took the state bar, got our cosmetology licenses. And you know, our plans, we were gonna open up a salon maybe even a couple salons you know but start with one got to be a business owner if you want to make money right typically yeah we found out really quick that you don't make a lot of money if you don't work on saturday that's the biggest day in the beauty industry and our teachers and our mentors said if you don't open on saturday you're not going to make it because it's a cutthroat market so you need to wake up and give up this religious observance thing so we prayed hard and long through that and due to a lack of faith we didn't open the salon I went back where I was working blue collar you know and did that instead I I wish we would have stayed the course because I think what would have happened is this we'd be the first salon closed on Saturday that made big big bucks because God would have gave us favor anyway but I didn't have the faith so we just gave that up and we went back to just doing some blue-collar work. So I did that. I worked for uh, King Supers for 20 years. And uh, when I went to work for them, um, I told them I couldn't work on Saturday. And they gave me that off initially, and they said, not a problem. And so I went to work for them. And lo and behold, after a while, they asked me to work on Saturday. I said, I can't work on Saturday. They said, well, you got to work some Saturdays. You just have to. It's just part of the business. You don't have to work all the Saturdays, though, just a few here and there. I said, I can't do that. I so said, what do you mean you can't do that? I said, I can't do it. It's a religious thing. They said, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to have to let you go. And I said, why do you have to let me go? They said, because you won't work Saturdays. I said, yeah, but I'll work Sundays. So I'm going to work Sundays every week. I'll be happy to work Sundays. You can't work me seven days a week, right? Federal labor, law, labor laws, you've got to give us two days off. So I'll work one of the weekend shifts forever. I just can't work Saturday. So they finally decided, okay, well, we'll go ahead and try that. So I was working Sundays every week. And then the Catholics got the idea that they wanted to have Sunday off. So they went to the employer and they said, we want Sunday off. You know, we we'll are work Saturdays, but we want Sundays off. Well, how many Catholics are there compared to Shabbat keepers? They'd have to close the store on Sunday. So they came to me and they said, hey, we got a bunch of uh, Christians here that are asking for Sunday off now. Look at the mess you made. You know, what do we tell them? We can't discriminate against them. I said, listen, go back to them and tell them that Catholics don't have to keep Sunday. There's no commandment. The Catholic Church admits that much, and so do the Protestants. I said, so they actually don't have an excuse. I do. So they shut them down, made them work Sunday. I continue to get Saturday off. I worked every Sunday and got time and a half. So you know what? It, it was a great deal. But the day came which they changed a lot of the laws and they decided they can't give me Saturday off anymore. And so I was threatened again, written up over and over and over. And, uh, and then actually um, threatened with termination where they actually took me through the, their legal department and wrote up my termination papers and waved that over my head and told me, were terminating you three different times they tried to do that three different times the first time I was so scared man, I was so scared I thought man they're gonna they're gonna fire me they're gonna go through with this they're gonna fire me And my parents are saying mark what are you thinking you got a family now you got a child you got a little girl you got to think of your you know God expects you to take care of them he understands this is on them don't lose your job With all that pressure, I still said, no, I'm not going to work Saturday. not going to do it. And if I get fired, I get fired. So I waited. And they didn't fire me. And I thought, that's interesting. Manager told me, you know what, we're going to let you off this time. We're going to terminate you. We changed our minds. We're going to give you one more chance. But you're going to have to work Saturdays. So that went on for a while, and they never asked me. And then about a year later, of course, they came back and said, okay, we need your work. So I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, we'll fire you this time. Now I was a little bit smarter this time around. I did some of my own research and I figured out, uh, well, there's a lot of Seventh-day Adventists. 20 million and growing. And then, of course, there's the Jews. And we got a fair amount here in this city. And they all have Saturday off. And so uh, in my fear and lack of faith, I lied to my employer. They uh, wrote me up several times. I have to go through due process. Then they finally suspended me and then they wrote up the termination papers. Then they brought me up to the office and uh, brought the legal department and they told me, they said, uh, we're gonna go ahead and terminate you. And do you understand what's happening? And I said, yes, I I, I do. I've been down this road and I think I understand. And they said, uh, well, are you gonna work Saturday or not? Because if not, Uh, you got two weeks, and you're gone. And we don't know if your pastor's going to pay your bills or your community, but you might want to think through that. I said, I did. I did. And I said, "Uh, I've talked to my legal counsel. They said, what? I said, uh, who's your legal counsel? I said, well, um, we have the Seventh-day Adventist community, and uh, they have quite a legal team. And, of course, the Jewish population in the city and uh, their legal team and uh, I've talked to both of them, and I've told them my situation, and they have said to me, please, please, get them to fire you. We've been waiting for a case like this. We can't, we can't wait to litigate against a big company, a termination over a worship day. So they told me, get them to fire you over this so they can litigate. So Let's not wait two weeks. Let's just go ahead and pull out the papers. I'll sign them right now. Let's just get this ball rolling. They said, get out of here, McClellan. You know, they made me leave the office. You know, they had to have a powwow. And of course they didn't fire me, you know? So, uh, but I lied and I felt bad about that for about a very short period of time. 10 days, I got over it. But then I began to realize, I began to realize this. that if God doesn't want me to lose my job, I'm not gonna lose it and no man can take it. Right. And if God's saying, I'm taking you out of this company, there's nothing I can do to stay in the company. Right. My, my, my job is just to serve him and put him first and be a good employee. Yes. That's what I'm not supposed to do. And so I did that and, and you know we, we had different tests along the way and ran into another termination later on, but uh, I was more mature, kind, compassionate, and loving in, in that whole process. But, and, and my manager who was going to fire me was a believer too. He, he was a great guy. But he got to the point where uh, the division managers and, and, and the company had decided it's time for me to go. Um, and again, several laws had changed and it weakened my position again. But I knew God was in it. And, and what I learned at this point was is that really this is my father in heaven testing me. It's God. It's not the devil. It's God. And th- this is a test of faith you know? And so I remember they called me up and they said, Hey, we need you to work. I said, no, I can't work. They said, well, you know, Easter Sunday, you know, we're going to have the biggest day of the year on Saturday because of Easter Sunday. And we have several people that are sick. And, uh, you know, I have to, I have to, you know, I need you to come in. McClellan, I need you. It's like the call, you know, I need you, you know, not demanding, but appealing to me. And then he finally said, Mark, My donkey's in the ditch. Please, as an exception to the rule, just one day. That hit me hard. Because there are allowances to work on the Sabbath. They are the exception to the rule, in emergency. Your donkey's in the ditch. And I thought, man, I should just go ahead and do this one time, one time. uh, He's my brother in the Lord. He's appealing to me. He needs my help. But I was wise enough to be mentored by some, some good religious leaders who, who said, whenever you're making a tough decision, never make it on the fly. Always ask for time to pray. Never rush in a decision that's big. Ask for time to pray. So that came into my mind. So I said, okay, okay. I said, just let me pray about it. I said, give, give me 20, 30 minutes. I'll call you back. I said, let me just pray. He said, okay, thanks. So I got off the phone. and started praying. You know what the father told me? He said, son, when you call him back, you tell him you're not going to go to work and remind him that even though his donkey's in the ditch, he has 15,000 other donkeys. I'm thinking, what? He says he has 15,000 other employees. The, The company was huge. They have all kinds of employees. They just need to pick up the phone and call some of these other employees that are off. There's plenty that will come to work. Reminded me as other donkeys. So I called back up. I said, hey, i really like to help you out, and I think you are in a pinch, but I think there's like 15,000 others you can call. is in there. He says, all right, bye. I mean, he knew. He knew all along. He was just like, had to mess with me, right? He says, oh, I know, thanks. Yeah, wasn't a problem at all. So anyway, My encouragement here is this stand for God and honor him and if you do God will honor you so let me come down to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17 well I'm sorry let's go down to uh, 18 through 19 then at the end of the days which the king had specified for presenting them the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar the king talked with them And out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. Promoted. Promoted. And now serving in a high and privileged place in the pagan kingdom of Babylon. They didn't leave. They didn't start communes. They didn't run when the going got tough. They stayed and trusted in the providence of God, the sovereignty of our king. They were in Babylon, but they weren't of Babylon. Verse 20, as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Now note well, that God's intervention in their lives resulted in their position and blessing in life. And this was in the midst of chastisement and judgment. So in concluding, um, let's make some application. The United States, I believe, has become a Babylon. If you didn't get last week's teaching, you can upload that, you can listen to it. I make the case for that last week. Suffice it to say, I believe united states has become a babylon and like daniel we must learn to draw the line in the sand we need to pray through and make a list of the areas that we are unwilling to compromise on and make sure when you make that list that you have solid biblical foundations we're here to help you to do that This is the time to shine. This is the time to represent our king. We do that by the choices we make and the lifestyle that we live, and that puts us in conflict with the world that we live in. Here's some examples of Torah-based beliefs and values that are worth taking a stand on. The Sabbath, idolatry, the second and third commandment, idolatry, You will not bow down and serve other gods, nor will you worship them in the same way that you worship me. That's idolatrous forms of worship. You can't take syncretisms. You can't take a holy day, hybrid it with a pagan practice and offer that up to me. You got to say no and stand your ground to the syncretism all around you to the syncretized holy days and celebrations. God has already given us his holy days and they're more than enough. Take a stand on the biblical definitions and standards of gender and sexuality. The dietary laws, being truthful and honest. We are called to be truthful and honest to be bearers of the truth safeguarding the lives and happiness of our homes our families and especially children and our elderly parents protecting and defending our inalienable rights to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness these are inalienable rights given to us by our god protecting and defending our borders. That's Torah. That's a Torah value and it's a Torah command. God gave the nations their borders and they're supposed to protect and defend their borders and to interact as nations with nations. And the one that everyone's being challenged on right now, we need to take a stand in respecting and protecting and defending private property. Think about this. Your physical body is a gift of God to you. It's God's gift to you. It's yours. It's personal. It's private. Your body is sacred to God. Holy unto him, a gift to you. There's nothing more personal and private when it comes to property than your bodies. You are to cherish your bodies, protect your bodies, nourish your bodies. And when it comes to pharmacia, Revelation 18, remind your government your employers, and your doctors that it is my body, therefore my choice when it comes to pharmaceuticals, especially the experimental COVID-19 mRNA gene therapy vaccine. Remind them that if they ignore your God-given human right to your own body, there will be hell to pay not a cuss word it's in the bible and it's exactly what god is saying in revelation 18 to those who violate and touch on his people that there will be hell to pay as the good book says quote pay her back even as she has paid give back to her double according to her deeds in the cup which she has mixed mix twice as much for her Never forget that one of the main and fundamental reasons that God brings terrifying, violent, and painful judgments to Babylon is because she deceived, quote-unquote, the nations with her pharmacia, quote-unquote, her big pharma drugs, and especially her experimental COVID-19 mRNA gene therapy vaccine. Currently and growing, over 5 billion COVID 19 doses have been administrated around the globe. 5 billion and growing. I wonder if they'll reach the entire population, over 7 billion. They are on pace, they're almost there. And with what an experimental gene therapy vaccine that no one knows what the effects might be in the years to come and they're mandating it coercing people to take it demonstrating that they have a right over your body and your happiness people wake up they're gonna push these passports god forbid that comes God forbid that comes. Now again, I am pro-choice. You wanna take the vaccine, take the vaccine. You don't wanna take the vaccine, don't take it. But it's your choice. It's your body, it's your choice. Do you realize that even though they approved this drug recently, at least the Pfizer, at least it sounds like the FDA has approved the Pfizer um, vaccine, it's still approximately two to three years away from its phase three uh, trials, which means you've been approved to be the guinea pigs. That's really what they're saying. Only God knows what is happening and is coming because of the big pharma COVID-19 drug who she has seduced the nations with and nearly 5 billion people have already taken. One thing is for sure. It quite possibly will be a series of global events and global consequences that will be felt and seen within the next couple years. People, it's time to draw close to God. God it's time to get serious about walking in his ways. The darkness is growing all around us and we are to be the lights in the darkness, to give hope, to lead people to the Lord so that everyone can come out of her so they don't experience the judgments that God is gonna bring to her. That's why we need to share the light of Jesus. That's why we need to be sharing week in and week out. Invite people over, have dinners, have parties, You know, connect, minister, pray, and lead people into the kingdom. Because this series of events is global now. First time in our world's history have we've seen the potential to reach the entire globe for evil. And it's happening. I say let's turn it around and reach the entire globe for good and for the glory of our king. And we'll do that one person at a time so closing with God's help and each other's help we can and will persevere we will proudly and gratefully declare and proclaim Jesus as king of kings and lord of lords and as the savior of the world and we will help each other stay true and loyal to our king's royal law and his commandments They may ultimately kill us with their wicked agendas and their hate-felt schemes and their big pharma COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, but we will live again like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the Terminator 2 Judgment Day. We'll be back. We are indestructible. We are invincible. With God, we shall live again. And there will be hell to pay for coercing us against our wills and inalienable rights to compromise in our love and loyalty to Jesus, our King, and God's commandments. Shabbat shalom.